Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you come here in your church? Would you come and open your word to us? Would you come and open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to better understand you? And we thank you that you will do this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So, just about a year ago, I finished my um, college course, my theological college course at at St. Melitus. And one of the wonderful things about that place is that there are people from many, many different types of church and tradition in the same place. It sometimes makes things a bit interesting, though, Uh, One of my good friends, Alice, comes from a very traditional, churchy sort of background. She grew up in and around cathedrals because um, her dad is, he builds organs, so you have to go where people have money to build an organ. Um, So yeah, she spent most of her life, her church life in Durham Cathedral with what my little sisters used to call a Narnia procession every day, where everyone dresses up and processes around. Um, So she's used to that. Everything ordered. Knowing what words you're going to say. Saying those beautiful prayers every day. Having them as part of you. Ordered. Safe. In some ways. Well, not all the church is like that. And um, we went away on our first residential week away in France in our first year. And Alice, being Alice, Um, gets roped into things that she doesn't really know what she's doing, and she's quite happy to have a go. So she was asked to help out with some prayer ministry after a communion service, and it was quite an open, charismatic, flowy kind of service with lots of things going on and some bit of randomness, to be honest. Um, So at the end, you were given an opportunity, if you wanted, to go to the back of the church There were a couple of areas where you could go and ask for healing. And so Alice and another of my friends, Hannah, who knows how these things work, were praying together. And this lady came up to them. She looked very normal. She wasn't foaming at the mouth. She wasn't crying. She didn't have strange marks on her. Um, And, yeah, she came up to them and and Hannah's like, right, just, just put your hand on her shoulder if she's okay with that. And say, Holy Spirit, come. Okay. Um, she put her hand on this lady's shoulder, said, Holy Spirit, come. And the lady fell flat on the ground and started laughing uncontrollably and moving around like she was having a fit. And Alice absolutely freaked out. I mean, what on earth was going on? Scary, right? If you've never experienced this before. Uh, what is this? This is not ordered. This is not organized. This is chaos and scary. However, that was the Holy Spirit working in that woman's life. And obviously that was what needed to happen. Um, that, that lady was actually greatly changed by what happened to her that evening. Um, order was actually brought into her disordered life. Relationships were mended. 
Justin Welby describes this sort of thing, this sort of encounter with the Holy Spirit as like raw, uncut God. We've heard the story of how the Holy Spirit came in Jerusalem when those disciples were together, all waiting for something they didn't know what. What happened to them was neither hysteria nor drunkenness, but it was obviously very strange. It's raw God. And believe it or not, God is the same today as he was then. God can do that stuff. Luke's account of Pentecost shows us two great signs of when the Holy Spirit is working. The first one would be that the Holy Spirit unites, always unites. And the second one would be that the Holy Spirit sends his people out, God's people out, with a common purpose. Both of these things, unity and common purpose, are massively needed today. What the disciples witnessed on that first day of Pentecost and the day of the birth of the church was the Holy Spirit reversing the curse of Babel. In Genesis, we read that, that um, at the Tower of Babel, it's such a weird story, but basically people couldn't understand each other at the end of it. God decided these people need to stop understanding each other. But this is the Holy Spirit breaking down that barrier of language. All those people from all over um, the Mediterranean and even further understood what Peter was saying in their own language. I mean, useful. That would be incredible. All of those people were united. This is what God wanted to do. He wanted to unite people in the church. Unite all people. Of course, in Western society and in the church, we are not united. We're profoundly and utterly divided. Politically, economically, culturally, socially, in so many different ways, we are separated from each other. Our postmodernist way of thinking tells us that the individual is all important. It's all about what I think, what I want, what I have. And we really feel like we need to protect this way of life, don't we? But in protecting this way of life, it's often led to wars, poverty, and terrible, terrible suffering that we see in the news every day and that we see in our own lives. Because, you know, underlying this deep division between people is self-centeredness and sin. There's no two ways about it. And this attitude can be seen in the church. The church divides and has divided again and again and again over little bitty things to do with doctrine and ethics. And sometimes, yeah, some big stuff. But we have conformed to the individualism we see in the world around us. When actually what should be happening is as God's church, united by God's spirit, We should be showing the world how to live. We should be modeling how God wants his people to live. And I'm not saying that we should all agree because that's not going to happen because humans disagree. But it's about disagreeing within the love and unity of the Holy Spirit. I have one of my favorite examples of this um, actually happened in Guildford. 
So um, some of you may well know David Bracewell, who was the vicar at St. Stephen's for a long time. Sorry. It was since, uh, yeah, <laughs> since Xavier's in Guildford for a long time. Um, he was, I would say, would you say he was quite conservative in his, in his tradition and doctrine and understanding of what church should be and who should do what with whom? Um, so, and he and the dean of Guildford Cathedral, Victor Stock, actually became friends. And I, I don't know if anybody here has ever met Victor Stock. But Victor is pretty much polar opposites to David. He is a very flamboyant. Um, he once told me that he really, really likes annoying evangelicals. That's one of his hobbies. Um, and he is quite liberal in, in his thinking. But you can imagine what, what local clergy meetings were like with those two, trying to agree over something. It just wouldn't have happened. And in fact, they really disliked each other for a long time. They couldn't understand each other's point of view. So being the people they are, they thought, right, we want to do something about this. So they started meeting regularly to have a cup of coffee together. And they became friends. I'm not saying that they started to agree about everything, because they really didn't. But they didn't want to carry on disliking each other. They disagreed without enmity, in the love of God. And this friendship actually helped to mend a lot of fences in that area of Guildford, within the church. That was definite Holy Spirit stuff happening. Because the Spirit of God is always working to bring integration and integrity to churches, and organizations, and people, and families. The Spirit's work is unity, and when we see unity happening, that is one of the clearest signs that the Holy Spirit is around. And sometimes, like Alice saw, the work of the Holy Spirit can seem quite disconnected and all over the place and a bit chaotic. Dreams, visions, random stories, um, stuff about cages, um, yeah, things can sometimes seem quite unconnected. But Justin Welby talks about this as integrating chaos. It can seem chaotic, but it's always going towards integration and unity. God's purpose is always being worked out. Here in Hazelmere, the churches have quite good relationships with each other. We're all pretty different in the way we do things, the way we do churchy stuff. But we are united by the Holy Spirit and by our common purpose. Because the Holy Spirit not only unites, it sends us out. The Holy Spirit enables the church to change the world. That's the only way we can. Those disciples that we heard about, who were filled with the Holy Spirit, went out and changed the world. They started the church. I mean, it tells us later on in Acts that those people who were listening to Peter's first sermon, that 3,000 people got baptized during, during that time. Can you imagine if every time Danny or I or anybody preached, we had 3,000 people getting baptized? That pool would not be big enough. We'd need to go to the herons, <laughs> at least, or the seaside. But that would have been so chaotic. Can you imagine? But integrating chaos, 
and chaos with a purpose. And all of those people would have gone back home, taking their new faith and the Holy Spirit with them. And that's how the church began. It is, it is chaotic, not massively planned, but boy, it worked. And it healed people. The Holy Spirit is seen in healing and wholeness, where people are truly living as humans. But it's sometimes hard to know how God works with us. Does God's Spirit like take us over, like possession? Do we stop becoming who we are? No, absolutely not. Jesus came so we can have life in all its fullness, our life. And the incredible thing about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit works with us in partnership, works with who we really are. Um, I found a really interesting example or, or illustration of how God works with us in a pretty trippy book written by a guy called Herman Hess in the, in the 1960s called The Glass Bead Game. It's pretty good, but um, quite florid. But this, listen to this. Young Joseph is being put forward for a place in the best school of music in the land. The day comes when he has to present himself to the master um, musician who's going to come and assess him. He's pale, he's frightened, he's scared. He takes his violin and his music to the practice room. And then the master enters. A very old man came in. He was filled with quietly radiant cheerfulness. He shook hands with the boy, nodded, and sat down with deliberation on the stool in front of the practice piano. Come on, let's make some music together. The old man played an A, and the boy tuned up his violin. What do you want to play? The master asked. The boy didn't know what to say, so he handed his sheet music to the master. No, said the master. I want you to play from memory, but not an exercise, something easy that you know by heart. Maybe a song that you like. Joseph was confused and unable to speak. The master did not insist. With one finger, he struck the first notes of the melody and looked inquiringly at the boy. Joseph nodded and played the melody with pleasure. It was one of the songs he often played in school. Once more, the master said. Joseph repeated the melody, and the old man now played a second voice to go with it. Now the old song rang out in the small room in two parts. Once more, Joseph played, and the master played the second part, and a third also. Once more, and the master played three voices along with the melody. A lovely song, the master said softly. Play it again, in the alto this time. The master gave him the first note, and Joseph played, the master accompanying him with the other three voices. Again and again, the master said, once more, and each time he sounded merrier. Joseph played the melody in the tenor, each time accompanied by two or three parts. They played the song many times, and with every repetition, the song was enriched with embellishments and variations. After a while, the old man stopped. Is that enough? He asked. Joseph shook his head and began again. The boy and the old man ceased to think of anything else but the music they were creating. 
Finally, the master turned his head and asked, Did you like that, Joseph? Gratefully, with his face glowing, Joseph looked at him. He was radiant, but still speechless. The Holy Spirit's work with us is like that of that music master with Joseph. He draws the best out of us by accompanying us, not by forcing us to be something we're not. God works with who we are, and we do great things together. Yes, the Holy Spirit sends us out to bring unity and love, but he doesn't send us out alone. He is with us all the time. And he's with us as we are sent out to the world because the world desperately needs the Holy Spirit. This wonderful world that we live in. The only thing that will enable the world to find purpose and meaning, truly, is the Spirit of God. And the way the world gets the Spirit is through us, the Spirit-filled church. The church needs the Spirit to bring it together so it can be diverse but united in the love of Christ. And of course, yes, the church will continue to disagree and argue about churchy things. But it must be loving and united in the spirit, like Victor Stock and David Bracewell. This enables the church to look beyond its own troubles to the chaos of a world without purpose, without the spirit. And when the spirit-filled church sees this, it must be sent out in the power of the Spirit, to live and work to God's praise and glory. That might sound familiar. It's from a very old, familiar post-communion prayer. To live and work to God's praise and glory. That is our common purpose. So how do we do this? How do we get the Spirit? Just like the disciples, we have to pray for it. And wait. And we have to keep praying for it. Like in the story, this is the work of the Spirit in us is something that goes on and on. We need to keep asking for God's Spirit. And then we've got to trust that the God who answers that prayer is on our side. However he answers. Like Alice, we might be quite mystified by how the Spirit works. But we need to remember that the Spirit who sends us out also walks with us. So, Holy Spirit, come. Fill your church once again.